Rabbi Hanan Brichto, may his memory be for a blessing, shocked me at the beginning of my rabbinate with the statement that every rabbi has only one sermon. Believing I possess many sermons, I was offended. Now, this is my 40th year of writing and delivering High Holy Day sermons, 40th. I have long considered this sermon, Kol Nidre, to be the most important sermon of the year. For two and a half decades, on this night at Beth Torah, I have addressed what I consider to be Judaism's approach to a major spiritual problem or goal. But ultimately, Professor Brichto triumphed. Every rabbi's only sermon is his or her life as he or she lives that life. Our lives testify to the sincerity of our beliefs. I have been indebted for many years and for many of my sermons to a woman long deceased named Fayette Unger. Her face shone with intelligence and class. Fayette took me to dinner probably 35 years ago and said, Mark, you need to speak about what hurts people. I said, Fayette, I don't know what hurts people. Fayette looked me right in the face, directly into my eyes, and said with conviction and kindness and insistence, yes, you do. Ever since, for 30 plus years, at least once every high holiday season, I've attempted to speak from the depths of Jewish wisdom to what hurts us, so that perhaps Judaism could help you and me to maximize our lives and ease our pain. This Kol Nidre sermon constitutes my final effort. And for me, it is the culmination of much that I have learned about Judaism and human psychology and living. It has helped me, and I truly hope, as my last Kol Nidre address, it will be helpful to you as well. Idolatry is the Darth Vader and the Lord Voldemort of biblical sins. Banned constantly, the Jewish prophets witnessed up close where it leads, as when Queen Jezebel slaughtered the Jewish prophets and her husband King Ahab, despite all of his wealth, stole the vineyard of his impoverished neighbor Naboth. Yet even today, all of us engage freely in the self-absorption of idolatry, myself included. They worship the stone idols of their day. We bow to the idols of our own time and place. Because pursuing God is too often like walking up a rocky path in the rain, a lot of slipping and backsliding along the way. Searching for the ultimate life satisfaction called God, the mountaintop beckons and challenges us. Satisfying physical appetites. Think about hunger, egoistic pleasures. Think recognition that we seek and fortune and fame. These seduce and sidetrack us. Yet even constantly consuming material goods in the world's wealthiest nation as we do, we end up with the gnawing feeling of emptiness inside. We are spiritually not 
physically hungry. That internal vacuum that attacks late at night and early in the morning, robbing us of rest, that lack of meaning, that boredom or simple dissatisfaction with life has plagued us and turns us to lesser gods, selling our souls for mountains of money, power, status, sex, and endless amusements. A brief story to illustrate my point. I met with a woman whom I have long esteemed. She was thought to have everything people admire, great knowledge, an occupation that enables her to help people, an altruistic spirit, financial security, and most important, children, a husband and family who love her and whom she adores. Everything people aspire to. We were visiting because of a cancer she has discovered in herself, and she must endure chemotherapy at this juncture in her life. Smiling, she related to me how her friends have rallied, how her family supports her spiritually and physically with their love and willingness to help out, how she is blessed and could not tolerate this moment without her support group. And then she said, I've not done enough for others. I don't know, I was working. Other things get in the way. But this is the most important thing, to be there for others in need. As laudatory as her life has been, I could feel her longing to have done better, along with her great gratitude and all the love she is receiving from friends and family, like a person who, being saved from drowning, suddenly realizes how she might have pulled others from the waters. This woman is experiencing gratitude and ultimacy. So here's my point. Every moment of every single day can be lived with ultimate meaning. And it is meaning that makes life worthwhile. The true Sinai of fulfillment that our idolatries can't even approach. Our personal private task is to discover that which enables each of us to climb the mountain, there to receive the revelation of our own ultimate worth in the eyes of God. I don't care how much or how little money you have, this is the true investment and our highest risk. When we do fail to dedicate a moment to something that we deem truly meaningful, we expose our lives to the void that gnaws within, the darkness of the soul. For we know we will die, and we fear that our brief lives will be devoid of meaning, that we leave nothing behind to mark our existence. If you leave only money behind, your heirs will forget you and remember only the money. The challenge confronting us is to frame our lives so that we dedicate every single moment to a version of meaning. On what Gibraltar have you constructed your life? And so the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah portion we read with great fervor tomorrow, demands of us Therefore, 
Choose life, uvacharta b'chayim, so that you and your children may live. I believe that most of us would insist that we choose life in every moment. Because we could certainly claim that we're not choosing death, are we? We eat right, we earn a living, we try to enjoy the time that is given to us. Therefore, we're choosing life, right? That's not exactly what I believe the Torah means. You see, it's a positive commandment. Choose life in every moment. Choose that which is the highest, that which gives the greatest meaning to life, that which you personally know to be the eternal within you that seeks its expression through your life. Let us go back to my friend because she is simply exemplary for us all. She's lived an admirable life, a life in which she's prevented suffering in others and provided for her family, her community, and even strangers. But now, a challenge enters her life, a life-threatening illness, a physical confrontation of suffering, including chemotherapy, and a hinge point in which she inevitably will reevaluate every goal and action in her life. We all reach this point, and I dare say we reach it almost daily. We just slough it off. We refuse to confront the question because it frightens us, like insecure children cowering in the corner, sucking their thumbs. We don't admit that we question whether we are really living the lives we intended to live, profoundly meaningful lives, living to the highest, climbing our Sinai. Because what do you do if the answer is no? I'm not living a meaningful life, the one I intended and God intended. I'm just going along. But in the moment of crisis that my friend now faces, when our lives are threatened, we suddenly know what it is that we cherish most. We see like lightning in the dark night sky, this here, loving, family, satisfying work, whatever it is, whatever it is that you choose. This is what I must accomplish. This is what I hold most dear. This is what I hold to my breast and cherish. Over 30 years ago, a man named Kip Weiner got AIDS in the early years of the epidemic. Kip chose to spend his two remaining years lecturing about living with AIDS. Kip concluded that only when he learned he was dying did he truly begin to live. A threat to life causes us to get serious about living, about the purpose of our lives. The Torah tells us, choose life, choose life. Do not be content with that which is less than ultimate for you. Go to the core and live there. We are filling life with amusements today. You see people constantly engaged in their own little worlds, frittering away time on frivolous amusements, as if they held eternity in their grasp rather than a smartphone.
You see people who are engaged in meaningful conversation with the image of God suddenly stop fulfilling that activity which has so much meaning long term, establishing a relationship, getting to know another soul. For what? So that they can answer some unimportant call or receive, God knows, a text. We are developing a culture of amusement by investing our lives in the vain pursuit of constant titillation. Worse still, you have been told that you are number one. As in the 1978 book title that said, looking out for number one, and that's you. If we are ultimate, why then in serving ourselves do we feel so empty inside, regretting a purposeless life? In Greek mythology, Narcissus died alone, worshiping himself. You can only really choose life when you give up self-adoration, when you love unselfishly, serving another person who is worthy of your love, when you live your life giving gratuitously and altruistically without asking for anything in return, when you attempt to build something that is greater than yourself in the world, then you fill your life with meaning. True loving, authentic giving, attaching your life to something greater than yourself, like volunteering to help people when they get out of the hospital or building a Jewish community. These shatter the altars of idolatry, the culture of narcissism worships. These three are the methods God has given us to fill our inner lives. And each mundane activity in our lives can be dedicated to one of these three values. Making meals for your family seems trivial, seems simple, but underlying it is great love. Driving carpool, oh God, terrible, but also loving. Getting an education for your kids. But so is allowing children to fend for themselves and thereby grow stronger and more independent. Making a living, that's supporting those whom you love. Volunteering time, giving tzedakah, that's connecting to the image of God and giving altruistically. Any activity with the proper selfless intention can grow the seeds of meaning that flower within the human soul. Yes, we must consciously live each moment building meaning. Volunteering, supporting institutions like the synagogue, extend ourselves, through which we then feed the hungry, through Beth Torah, educate our children, bury the dead, help people to celebrate their lives, and even discuss what it means to get sick and to die. Each of our mundane actions we can raise to a God-given level when we are dedicating them to a higher purpose. We ritualize these actions to bring out their meaning. Let me explain what I mean. Humans, all humans, all humans, create rituals. It's embedded in the human brain. We get up the same most days, go through the same pattern of activities and getting ready to leave the house. We have patterns of work and commuting to work. Our lives are a series of repeated actions that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
Human beings are ritual-making creatures. Religious ritual symbolically demonstrates and expresses what we consider the ultimacy in our lives. It takes what's inside and makes it external and expresses it so you can see it and feel it. Just lighting candles together on a Friday night. Each person focusing on the light. Simple action. It can center our loving on one another. Renewing our families as we give thanks together for the week. Ask my friend how important family loving has become to her. It's what sustains and energizes her through the enervating chemotherapy. Serving food at the restart shelter together could be enhanced by a little impromptu blessing, a little impromptu prayer, maybe a Bible reading that explicitly states and therefore makes real, makes real. We're fulfilling a commandment here. We're saving lives. We are choosing life. We are giving depth to our souls by engaging others in conversation, truly listening to them, homeless people who are just like you and me. Therefore, Choose Life finds its greatest expression in naming ceremonies and weddings and even funerals where we explicitly retell the values of living and the story told by a human life. But also serving a meal and having a conversation at Save Home on a Sunday night, preceded by a blessing, raises mundane eating to an overwhelming life-saving act. Ritual externalizes the internal meaning that we are creating with our lives. Simple actions get ultimate meanings. Even when we clean our homes, it's an expression of loving. And socializing should give us the opportunity to truly listen, listen to a friend. Pay attention to the soul behind the conversation. What is being said, what is not being said, and why. These are our highest values, interacting with souls. And one more thing, and that is our suffering. For my friend is suffering. And what good is all this meaning if life comes to this? First we suffer, and eventually now or later we die. We must find a purpose in our suffering. Some of you, I know, suffer daily. Many of you either have life-threatening diseases or have had them and continue to worry, or now are simply concerned about how many years remain to your life. How do we transform all of this into choosing life? You are alive for a reason. Only you can decipher, only you can develop what that reason is, but you are here for a reason. Your life potentially contains purpose and meaning that is unique because you are a holy creature. Your life is the climb up Sinai for you and you alone. In her illness, my friend discovered in a new and different way what loving means to her. That redeems her suffering. That loving has added to her life in immeasurable ways. 
Suffering has added to the meaning in her life and the lives of those around her. None of us chooses suffering. None of us would choose to increase the meaning in our lives. Oh, let me suffer a little bit. I'll feel more meaningful. We don't do that. But we cannot avoid suffering. The longer you live, the more you are likely to suffer. Suffering demonstrates that our lives potentially possess meaning. Suffering forces us to prioritize our activities and choose the most meaningful among them. Thus, suffering is purposeful. Suffering connects us to loving and altruism and institutions that enable us to do good in life. Suffering changes our perspective on the meaning of our day-by-day -day existence. We desperately try to rid ourselves of suffering. Yet suffering enables us to discover the meaning for which we exist. Suffering is purposeful at any stage in our lives. Our lives always potentially have meaning. Even in the process of dying, often most particularly in the process of dying. We discover the meaning for which we are here in this world. I recently experienced a woman who had the best relationship ever with her mother in the two weeks in which her mother was dying. Suffering and dying clear away the layers of nonsense, amusements, meaningless arguments, ego insults, status issues on which we waste precious time. Suffering takes you to the base of your Sinai and urges you to climb while there is time to redeem your life. Suffering takes us right down to the core of our being. You can live with fewer possessions, many of us with a lot fewer possessions, but you cannot live without meaning in your life. Rabbi Brichtel said we only have one sermon. Here's mine. You are holy creatures. That means you are connected to God. And your life holds ultimate meaning. You choose to escape the holiness in your lives at your peril. Whatever stage in life you are at this moment, going to school, choosing an occupation, preparing to marry, having children, deciding not to have children, preparing not to marry, preparing for the latter stages in life, retiring, preparing to die, whatever you are doing, your life contains purpose and ultimate meaning now at this moment. Examine it. Find it. Dedicate every moment, trivial or insignificant though it may seem, dedicate that moment to meaning. I am giving this sermon for the meaning in my life as I prepare to move on to a new stage. Every moment, find meaning. God bless you. God bless this holy congregation. And may we, 
created in God's image, live, love, give, create, dedicate each moment of our precious lives to a meaning we discover that God has it placed within us and intends for us. For this you were created, for this you live, and to this God calls you to account. <laughs>